coming up. And he could remember each of his victims in, in such exquisite detail. And his victims were on these little disks of memory in his brain that he could pull up at any time he would like, and he would remember the details of what even they said to him while he was killing them. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. The most prolific serial killer in the U.S., as he's been deemed, Samuel Little, is dead. He died earlier this week while serving three consecutive life sentences in California. Little confessed in 2018 to killing 93 women. The 80-year-old serial killer died Wednesday while serving multiple life sentences for murder in California. She was pretty, a light-skinned, brown, honey-colored kid. And she was about a five, she was about tall, she was tall for a woman, mm-hmm. about five, eight, five, nine, and she's beautiful shape. How old do you think she was? She was about 30. Okay, and she's a black female. Yeah. And tell me where you met her. I met her in, in a, a, a nightclub in New Orleans. I'm joined by Brendan Keefe, chief investigator at 11 Alive in Atlanta, Georgia. Brendan, the news of the passing of Samuel Little came at a a sort of a heady time, I think, in in current status of the world as 2020 was coming to an end and we were all hopeful for better news in 2021. But this rather significant news of the passing of a, a serial killer and, as I still understand it, the most prolific serial killer of all time, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a monster from a different era, Will. I mean, he's, um, you know, we had these serial killers for decades, and there seemed to be a cluster of them in this this time frame. But he killed for 35 years, from 1970 to 2005. And he's hands down now confirmed by the FBI, the most prolific serial killer, at least that we know of. I know we could talk at length about uh, all of his crimes, but give me sort of a snapshot. You said, you know, the, the period of decades lasted quite a while. Where was he operating for the most part? Who was he targeting? You know, Samuel Little is the scariest kind of serial killer because he was a traveling serial killer. The reason they couldn't catch him is you had all these police departments scattered across 19 states and then individual cities within those states and county sheriff's offices who had no idea that they were all hunting the same man. They thought they were dealing with one-off strangulations of women Uh, And they didn't put these cases together. It took a Texas Ranger sitting down with him to realize he'd killed in 19 states. Now, he had a concentration in Florida and California because he spent a lot of time in L.A. and Miami. But he confessed that his secret was kill and leave town. So he rarely killed in the same town consecutively. He would come back to his favorite spots, but he would do so sometimes a decade or more after he first killed there. So we finally got to where we were going in the bay, uh, a river, a little water thing. And the big, uh, they had a machine out there in that little river. Dredging, dredging. Okay. I grabbed it by the legs and pulled it to the water. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that I ever killed by drowning. Describe the location where she's left. Okay, I left her with her head still in the water, half her body in the underwater, and uh, her thighs and legs on the bank. And you mentioned this Texas Ranger. How did 
he eventually get caught. Yeah, James Holland, uh, Texas Ranger, is right out of central casting. I mean, if you imagined what a Texas Ranger would look like, uh, or if you looked it up in the dictionary, you would see a picture of James Holland. Uh, he's an extraordinary investigator, but he was acting really on a hunch. Uh, you already had Samuel Little in uh, prison for killing in uh, California. And then you had these cases in Texas that were unsolved. And on a hunch, he went and questioned Samuel Little. And once he kind of played to his ego and stopped trying to sort of play on his emotions, you know, you can't do that with serial killers. You can do it with one-off, you know, emotional intimate killers who kill someone that's close to them. You can say, hey, you know, for the family, you need to, you know, give them closure. Uh, Serial killers don't respond to that. They do respond to recognition of what they would consider their life's work. And that was the secret with Samuel Little. By simply acknowledging that this was his life's work and that he may go to the grave without anyone acknowledging it, he opened up, you know, close to the age of 80, he opens up to this Texas Ranger and confesses to essentially 93 uh, murders. And he was confessing right up until the day he died. Confessed to 93. Out of that number, do you know how many have been confirmed or were confirmed? According to the FBI, 60 of those have been confirmed, according to the FBI and various law enforcement agencies around the country. Uh, The one most important thing to point out, though, is neither the FBI nor Texas Ranger James Holland believes that Samuel Little ever lied about a case. It, anything they could verify, they, they verified. The only thing he was off on in some cases was uh, a name or a, a, a year here and there. That was it. And it was just recollection. But he remembered incredible level of detail from murders that happened in 1970 or 1973. He remembers very distinct lighting conditions and what makeup someone was wearing, um, you know, the time of day, the name of the bar they were walking out of. I mean, think about that, that can you remember what happened last November um, on a certain day? But he remembers 35 years back in some cases, even longer than that, four decades into his memory, even capable of drawing uh, sketches of his victims with photographic uh, accuracy that actually has led to identifying Jane Doe's uh, and identifying many of his victims. And I want to talk to you more about those drawings because I know you have some interesting thoughts about what those drawings did for his ego, perhaps, or that was part of his overall sort of strategy for for sharing all of this information, if we can even peer into his mind. But Brendan, let me ask you, you mentioned a lot of cases in Texas, a lot in Florida. How did you come across Samuel Little and his story and his case? How did you start covering him? I knew about Samuel Little before I knew the name Samuel Little because we knew, thanks to the Murder Accountability Project uh, and our work on unknown serial killers in Atlanta, we knew he existed. In, in fact, we statistically estimated that there were three of him, three uncaught, at least, serial killers in Atlanta because we had over 100 strangulation murders of women. The majority of the victims were black. That, that was over a 40-year period. Um, And that couldn't be solved. And, you know, 60% of the Atlanta Metro strangulations were unsolved, which is just statistically impossible. Strangulation is usually, you know, an intimate partner. And we knew we had these unsolved strangulations. A lot of them were poor women, drug-addicted women, prostitutes, um, and we couldn't solve them. And so what we suspected was a traveling serial killer. 
we approached the Atlanta Police Department um, and got little help. Uh, and then after we ran our story, the Atlanta Police Department actually asked for a retraction because the title of our story was The Hunt, Atlanta's Unknown Serial Killers. And they said, we don't have any uncaught serial killers. We know all of our cases are one-offs. We know we don't have any serial killers. And we stood by it and said, no, statistically, you have uncaught serial killers and we want to help you find them. And they said, no, thanks. And then Samuel Little popped up a couple of years later, at least three Atlanta murders he's confessed to, uh, two more in Macon, two in Savannah, another one in Dade County, which is in uh, border with uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So basically, you've got at least eight murders in Georgia that were unsolved until Samuel Little started drawing his photographs, his pictures. Where was he being held, Brendan? He was being held in California. Um, and he was convicted in Texas, but remained in California, other than when he was helping Texas Ranger James Holland. James Holland actually brought him to Texas. Uh, James Holland actually gave him the drawing materials. He wasn't doing his drawings. He, th- these victims, these drawings lived in his head in photographic detail. He didn't need them in order to sort of enjoy his you know, menagerie of victims that would occupy his mind. Um, But then he started drawing them at the request of the Texas Ranger. Um, And so there he was in California, uh, again, confessing essentially up until the last day. I mean, the last case was identified, I believe, in um, November, right before his death, uh, where they were able to identify two Florida victims. And one of them was a murder for which another man was serving a life sentence in prison. And he confessed and said, no, it was me. And they confirmed it was him. I know we've talked about Samuel Little in the past. And I recall you talking about these drawings and somehow in some horrible way, it was sort of stroking his ego that he was able to do this for rangers or for for investigators. Am I right in remembering that that's something you've talked about? Yeah. I mean, just think about it, that serial killers often collect trophies. And sometimes it's an article of clothing Sometimes it's a body part to be, you know, uh, blunt. Uh, But in Samuel Little's case, he had this, uh, what James Holland, the Texas Ranger, called a genius. And and, and often they are geniuses, you know, Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and others. I mean, they they would have genius IQs, and it seems Samuel Little was no exception. But one of his gifts, if you could call it that, was a photographic memory. And he could remember each of his victims in in such exquisite detail. And he would relive the murders by his own admission. He would sit there and just sort of, um, you know, if you remember those old uh, Viewmaster viewers where you, when we were kids, where you'd hit the little lever and a new picture would pop up, that, that was Samuel Little's brain. And his victims were on these little discs of memory in his brain that he could pull up at any time he would like. And he would remember the details of what even they said to him while he was killing them. The pictures, he simply put those on paper for the investigators, and then they were able to use those to solve the cases. But it was when he realized that his days were numbered, and also this was his um, sort of hall of fame, if you will. I mean, this was his, you know, was life's work. Uh, He wanted to be recognized for it. Um, And he also realized he was going to meet his maker, which is extraordinary. I mean, he told the Texas Ranger that he was hoping he actually could get some people wrongfully convicted who were serving prison time for murders he committed freed uh, because it might help him when he meets his maker, which he, he did last year. 
At the end of December, and it, I, I don't know what, what it was like for you to hear that news, but, you know, he was 80, he was not in good health, and living in, in you know, his life behind bars. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. You know, it's sort of like, you know, this is, this is a man actually who was spared the death penalty in order to get, to get uh, these confessions um, the Texas Ranger was able to get at least a DA in Texas um, to say the death penalty is off the table. So he was just going to spend the rest of his life in prison no matter what. But what, what possible punishment could we give someone who's killed 93 people, 60 confirmed, by far the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history? What, what punishment could we give them? Um, and so now that he's sort of gone, there's no opportunity to hold him accountable anymore than, you know, there's just, there's just no... There's, there's a problem of scale here, of the scale of the crime versus the scale of the punishment. There's just simply nothing we could do to him. And uh, I think the tough thing now is that he's not available to help solve some of the other cases. Um, we don't, there's still drawings he's made for which we don't know the victim. The bodies may never have been recovered. These may be missing people um, because we tried to match some of them up. And the problem is he said, okay, in 1981 and then 1983 and 84, um, you know, I killed three women in Atlanta. The problem is we don't know if and when those bodies were discovered. So it's harder to match those victims up. And now that he's not available to sort of, you know, to be this sort of encyclopedia of information for investigators, um, it also means that many families will never get an answer of what happened to their loved one. It's heartbreaking to have the only person that may have the answers pass away and take those answers with them. Ashanta Wyatt suspects Little may have murdered her aunt Andretta Wyatt nearly 40 years ago. But with his death, she says her family will never know for sure if he was the killer. Just the, the time of night that it was, the fact that he met her in a bar, um, the way he described her was exactly how my aunt looked at that time. Wyatt says the murder still haunts her West Bank family. We still don't have closure. We still don't have answers. We still don't know where my aunt is in terms of her remains. The Wyatt family says the fact that Samuel Little died in prison is some consolation. Brendan, before I let you go, I know part of looking at serial killers, certainly for the experts and investigators who want to understand the mind of a serial killer is looking at their past, trying to say, you know, well, this led to this or this led to this. It is difficult to even imagine someone who would go down the path of killing 90 or more people. What can you tell us, if anything, about Samuel Little's upbringing, his family, his life? Do we know anything that could have funneled that sort of rage, that deadly impulse into his adult life? Well, I mean, you know, without getting too much into sort of a class on Freud, I think it has something to do with the relationship he had with his mother. Um, his mother, Samuel Little's mother, he claims or claimed was a prostitute. Uh, they also moved around a lot. He was born in Georgia, southwest of Macon, but they immediately moved to Ohio and then they moved around from there to Florida and elsewhere. And so to a degree, he never really had a home. Um, so he was at home on the road, which again is what makes him so dangerous because someone who is born in a small town, raised there and will die there, you're sort of beholden to relationships and to the sort of, you know, everyone in town knows you're the serial killer. But if you're a, if you're a, um, mobile serial killer and you're not beholden in any way to a place, 
uh, then you're really free and you're free to kill without the fear of being caught. Um, unfortunately, we can't probe any further into his relationship with his mother because he's gone. But the, his uh, insistence that she was a prostitute, even if she wasn't, um, may indicate why he went after women who were in the sex trade. He claimed it was because they were easy to find and no one would notice them missing. But it also may have had to do something, uh, something to do with the pathology of his own upbringing. Brendan Keefe, Chief Investigator at 11 Alive in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for talking to us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday with new episodes Monday through Friday. Be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a great review if you like what you hear. And you can check out our full lineup of shows, including Bardstown, The Officer's Wife, and our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, at vaultstudios.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.